Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by a very special guest. Please welcome back the originator of the Thunder Buddies podcast. He covered the Thunder for three years with the Oklahoman. He currently covers the NBA at large and the Golden State Warriors for the Athletic. Please welcome back Anthony Slater to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Is this still like the original feed? Like this really is the It's the original feed. Wow. Well, yeah, I I did start this podcast. Just this would have been what 2013 range. So this is almost we're nearing a decade of this podcast. Yes, we are. It's it's pretty incredible. How did it, exactly did it start? Um, you know Darnell Mayberry, who I would uh, tag as the uh, co-originator, I guess you would say. Um, we just we were in the old Oklahoma offices, which you you may drive by them if you live in Oklahoma City, up on what is it North Broadway. Um, that tower up there, they had a podcast studio or it was, you know, an audio studio for news. Okay. At the time and podcasts were somewhat, they weren't like what they are now, even close, but it was like kind of becoming slowly becoming a thing. And I just mentioned it at Arnell that like, you know, we should do a podcast, you know, like, cause we had so many good thunder conversations just, you know, I guess privately you would say. And it was just an idea to like, Hey, let's, you know, it, I mean, you've worked in newspapers enough to know that, you know, we're always kind of discussing like what are, you know, ways to advance different parts of coverage. And we just said, hey, let's go into that audio room upstairs, tape it, put it out. And honestly, it got it got really good reaction. And, and I guess uh, lives a decade later still on this feed. I mean, we're still kicking. Is there any restaurant that you are wanting to go to or any spots you want to hit up while you're in Oklahoma City? I mean, some of them are in Stillwater, Oklahoma, if I'm being honest, and I don't know that I'm going to get up to Stillwater. Um, yeah, I mean, what, I might go to a kitchen, uh, you know, 501, I think it is. Or why am I saying that uh, incorrectly? But uh, a lot of restaurants have popped up since I've left, I would say. Um, you know, So I might go try some of these new ones. Should be a good time. Are, were there any growing pains starting the Thunder Buddies? I mean, like you mentioned, podcasts weren't what they are now uh, at all. There was no Joe Rogan experience back then. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say growing pains, but it was uh, I was doing a lot of the technical side of it, too. And like, you know, I remember I would be writing like articles to house the the podcast would be like on an article kind of at times. Um, it was just very new, but it was I wouldn't even call them growing pains because it was just like it was it was such a good learning experience then where now I, I mean, I can do a lot of the technical side of stuff. And, and that kind of I guess the origin of that is my time at the Oklahoma. What would you say are some of your best moments from the Thunder Buddies? Right before we got recording, I was listening at about triple speed to your last uh, podcast, the one at, right before you left. Oh, wow. Um, just I I would say the relationship I had with Darnell, you know, he he's I would kind of view him as really, I guess, my mentor in the business and and the way we started it. And I remember bringing Mike Sherman, the sports editor at the time on and I remember having like arguments about Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook standing in the league at the time um, where Darnell was really, you know, kind of uh, given the Chris Paul case and, and we were kind of going back at him. And it was just good spirited, like podcast discussions at a time when that was such a new thing. I think to a lot of people, I, I, I can remember people that were listening at the time. It was like so new to them that this was like a forum to get NBA coverage where now, I mean, there's you know everyone anybody who's an nba podcast listener probably has like 19 different podcasts they listen to but um it, I, i'd say those conversations bringing bringing barry on 
bringing you know sometimes opposing writers on was always fun so some of that and then yeah i guess i I might want to go back and listen to the uh to the final episode i'm trying to remember that one it was a decent listen at one point you said that it you thought it would be a good idea for kendrick perkins to follow kevin durant to the golden state warriors wow i i I do need to go listen to this um i I do remember i will say on on one of the final thunder buddy podcasts i must have done uh we were all this was a week before the 2016 free agency and i had just been in austin texas with like durant had a shoe release in austin and I was starting to get the vibe that he might leave. And I remember doing a podcast with Darnell and with Barry and saying, you know, they were saying there's like a 5% chance he leaves, maybe a 10%. And I was like, might hike that a little higher than that. And then, uh, yeah, a week later, he is a Golden State Warrior. Where were you when you found out? I was in Orlando covering the Thunder Summer League team. And that was when there used to be Orlando Summer League. Um, and... It was like the Mitch McGarry, Cameron Payne, Josh Hustis, uh, Thunder Summer League team. And it was like, obviously, a throttling time around the organization. And it was it was odd to be around kind of the younger players and, and some of the younger coaches. And, you know, obviously, you kind of got to throw questions at them. And everyone was in a state of shell shock. And it was that day. It was July 4th, as I'm sure people remember, went to uh, cover a Thunder Summer League game in that very private Orlando arena. And it was just, it was such a weird vibe. They brought me on the NBA TV broadcast. I sat next to Rick Kamla, who was the play-by-play, and Vince Carter was doing um, commentary. And yeah, we sat there for like the entire half discussing like, you know, the Thunder's future and Durant's decision and all that while this like Mitch McGarry summer league game was going on in front of us. So that is what I remember about that day. Mitch McGarry, one of the forgotten Thunder legends people just don't talk about enough. I remember Victor Oladipo, they interviewed him around that time uh, in Orlando because that was when the surge trade went down about asking him about playing with Durant and then like the next day, yeah, he signs with the Warriors. Yeah, it was that was a that was the time. I'm I was in that Victor Oladipo interview, so I I do remember that. And then I just remember asking campaign about Katie leaving and feeling almost bad that I was sitting there like campaign was one of the people that had to like, you know, be a spokesman for like one of the darkest days in the franchise to that point. Yeah. And then um, it wasn't all smooth after that. I saw jokingly and I listened to the podcast. Enos Cantor later called you a traitor on Twitter for leaving for Golden State as well. What was uh, what was your reaction to that? And then the timeline, I guess, between Durant and you also going to Golden State to cover the Warriors. Yeah, uh, it wasn't just he, he. I mean, it was a joke. I always had yeah. a relationship with Ennis, and we all know who and like that is Ennis, right? He's kind of a troll online. He uh, photoshopped my face onto you know the KD my next chapter. Yes, I'm not. I'm not sure he actually did the Photoshop. I don't even think he did, but somehow he got a hold of a Photoshop that, that was me announcing my next chapter and said, "I will, I will burn your news," uh, because it, remember the burning the, of the jerseys was such a big thing at the time. Um, it was uh, so he July fourth. I probably would have uh, committed to go cover the Warriors out in the Bay Area for a Bay Area newspaper at the time. I'm at the Athletic now, but. Um, in August, early August, I I will tell you, I remember the last event I covered for the Oklahoman was Russell Westbrook's uh, press conference where he announced an extension. It was only a one-year extension at the time, but, you know, they did a parade. They had a blue carpet out here. It was at, out at uh, Paycom, what it used to be Chesapeake. And 
I was getting a lot of uh, you know, friendly um, banter that day. I can remember uh, even from like Russell Westbrook's brother at the time and just people were giving it to me because it did. That was such a like heated, tense rivalry where, you know, again, they're going to play tonight and you're not going to have those same feelings in the building because no Durant and really no leftovers from that Thunder era as far as players. Not a single guy from that Thunder team is still here. I mean, from the Warriors, is it just Steph, Clay, Draymond, Iguodala, and that's it? Yeah, I mean, which is a lot, by the way. I mean, they're like, yes, they are a poster child in the league of like team actually staying together in this era of player movement. So, uh, yeah, I mean, same coach, Steve Kerr, same uh, front office, all that. So, no Durant, though. That's the big one. That's definitely the big one. Uh, what were some of your favorite? Uh, moments covering the thunder or on the beat any games that stand out to you so many um i mean obviously your mind goes immediately to the playoffs and uh, the first playoff series i ever covered i would have been what 23 at the time about to turn 24 this would have been the 2014 playoffs uh and it was grizzlies thunder it was that seven game series which set an nba record four straight overtime games in the middle of the series um and you know not that i want to get too deep into it but that was the mr unreliable headline series that was reggie jackson's like the reggie jackson breakout game was in the middle of the series he almost like saved the thunder season and then would have a very very strange year the next season um and just that entire playoff series i can remember all the way through that playoffs it was the clippers when they beat chris paul in la serge Ibaka injures the calf in game six um he comes back in the spurs west finals they have the the game six here um, that Manu kind of beats them late uh, in overtime. So that playoffs and, and all the way up until 2016. And I've talked to people around the league about this and they'd agree like that playoffs in general, that NBA playoffs in 2016 might be the best playoffs of the last decade plus really uh, just with all the storylines. And that includes from a Thunder perspective, they won 55 games that season, but they were easily the three seed. I mean, it's, can you like you probably look at the NBA standings right now, the West standings? It's like everybody's super bunched up. Probably nobody's even going to win sixty that season. You had the seventy-three win record Warriors. The, the Spurs were the two seed. They had sixty-seven wins, and then the Thunder at three fifty-four to to get a round. You know, Dallas had so many storylines. Remember Westbrook dancing with Payne. You know, Charlie Villanueva, um, Mark Cuban calling. Uh, Westbrook not a superstar Durant butting in and calling Mark Cuban an idiot that was just the first round second round has that you know what I thought was such a you know I guess pinnacle moment for you know it's Billy Donovan's first season they went big against the Spurs Steven Adams I thought really that was like probably his breakout series uh, he has a double double with a migraine headache in game six in Oklahoma City it's Tim Duncan's last game ever one of the most legendary Legendary careers ends in Oklahoma City uh, due to what Adams did partly. Then they go to really one of the most famous playoff series ever, I would say, which is Warriors Thunder 2016. I mean, I think people listening to this probably remember uh, the back and forth of that series, which includes the Clay Thompson game six here, which I mean, even saying those words probably throws daggers through the heart of uh, Thunder fans. Uh, and then obviously leading to, you know, Kevin leaving in the summer. So yeah, I mean, those are just some of the playoff memories I have. Forget all the, you know, local memories, memories working for the Oklahoma and all that. Yeah, there's just a Rolodex. The Thunder have been very lucky as a fan base to see so many memorable moments, just like you mentioned. You can just flip through. I mean, Zach Randolph getting suspended for Game 7 in that Grizzlies series as well. 
um, the Dion Waiters when he just completely pushes Manu Ginobili on the inbounds pass. Yeah, bunch of crazy stuff. Downhill Dion for the conference finals. Just unbelievable things. But I'm with you. It feels like there was definitely a um, butterfly effect sliding doors moment with the 2016 Western Conference Finals where the league could be in a completely different place if things just go differently in game six. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've wondered myself, you know, obviously part of the reason I went to cover the Warriors was, you know, you, when Durant left, you, you thought Westbrook might leave. You're wondering, you know, what's the future of, of the, the franchise? Obviously, they stabilized enough. Now they're in uh, this rebuilding phase. But, you know, it was also, hey, I'm going to go cover, you know, what turned what was expected to be and kind of turned out to be the, a 96 Bulls type of run from the Warriors. So, if you know, if, if the Thunder do win that series, Maybe they win the finals. I might stick around. Maybe the Thunder turns it into a back-to-back type scenario. Maybe Durant resigns. Um, but that's a, it's it's what ifs that we'll never know. It's part of the Thunder fandom to have the painful what ifs that keep you up at night. Well, yeah, and then the funny thing is, especially I, you know, knowing Clay Thompson very well, I've now covered him for seven seasons. No. Knowing that he was the one, if you just you know know him a little bit personally, he's the one that just decided, hey, I'm just going to get volcanic hot right now, hit 11 threes, and you know change the course of NBA history while I'm at it. Of all the guys, too, yeah, not many more likable guys in the league than Clay Thompson, and of course, it's the one guy that just ripped the heart out of the Thunder's uh, franchise and fan base. I remember talking to Billy Donovan the season after and I you know I had come back I was covering the Warriors at the time but I went over to a Thunder practice and you know had known Billy um from the season before and we were just kind of chatting about what we are right now like just you know the ramifications of that game six and we were talking about Clay and he was like saying early in the game Clay had hit a couple threes and was kind of he was over towards the sideline you know inbounding it near the Thunder bench and he was like muttering and talking to himself and he was just like almost like hyping himself up in a in a very odd Clay Thompson way and Billy was like yeah was kind of a little bit concerned about Clay you know at that moment like oh you know he's on something weird tonight and then I mean some of the threes like people should go back and rewatch some of the threes he hit in that game are, are insane like his feet are like angled towards the sideline on one from like 30 feet out and he just throws it in. Oh, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, I wouldn't mess with a guy who got powers after he jumped into the ocean to break a cold streak. And whenever he got his hands on a toaster that he signed and then went on an unbelievable run. That's not the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Clay. Uh, Clay likes being back in this city, too. Every time he's back here, he, he tends to uh, talk about that moment in his career. We'll see. Well, you mentioned it sort of in passing this new generation of Thunder basketball and the rebuilder uh, sort of in. It looks like they're on the way out, but I just wanted to get your perspective as somebody who's not around this team as much. What you think of it? Going well, uh, clearly. I mean, the the Paul George maneuver, which goes back to that summer league earthquake night where I can remember being with a bunch of NBA people when that like, you know, obviously at the time. And you're like, wow, Kawhi and Paul George are on the Clippers. And then you kind of start to, oh, wait, what did the Thunder get for that deal? Like, oh, nice. That'll like kind of jumpstart their rebuild a little bit, uh, a lot. You know, they uh, get, you know, the Clippers entire draft basically for the next decade. One of those picks becomes Jalen Williams, who to me looks like a very good, you know, three and D wing. And then obviously the big piece, Shea, who I was very good to get in the trade. And you thought, hey, that's a nice little piece for them in the future. Currently looks like what, like a top 10, like top 15 player. He's probably going to be all NBA, one of the all NBA, like second or third team guards this season, if it keeps going this way. Um, so that's the centerpiece, which I, I think, you know, you have in place, you have under long-term control. I, we all are waiting to see Chet Holmgren, the, the entire city of Oklahoma city, probably much more than I am even. 
Um, but but I've loved him as a prospect. I love the glimpses that we saw in summer league. Uh, Josh Giddy has had a good month. You know, you do kind of wonder about his backcourt pairing with Shea, particularly on the defensive end. Um, but I think Shea has turned up the defense enough this season, and Giddy has shot the three well enough. And just you know, I, I just think he's had an encouraging month uh, to believe maybe that could you know maintain as a, as a high level pairing in the backcourt with Williams. I think is your perfect you know complementary wing. Um, and then Kenrich Williams is a, is a nice piece moving forward. They've not only found what what seem to be building blocks, you know the the Russ KD type you know like franchise building blocks, but also side pieces, complementary pieces, guys that can be part of a, a rotation moving forward. And it's it's a, a very nice backbone of, of what's a young team on the rise, maybe could nibble their way into the play and if they even want to this season. Uh, but even if not, you know, you've set the foundation now you and you have the draft capital to go maybe star hunting at some point. Whenever you want to fast forward, whenever Sam Presti decides it's time to hit the fast forward button, he has the ammo to do that. Yeah, it feels like the arrows pointing out back to what you were saying about that summer league night and um, uh, whenever the trade went down for Paul George, I actually paid my way to go to Vegas for summer league that year. And I remember the earthquake. Zion played in that one game and he has the dunk. And then later on, the earthquake cancels the game. That's the first ever time I've ever been to a game where a guy was booed in layup lines for not dunking. But it was just an incredible night. And I remember walking to the arena first and my phone overheating in the Vegas heat and then walking back to the hotel afterwards, setting all my stuff down, covered in sweat. And then the Woj notification goes off and it's on ESPN. And it's not even it was just Paul George has been traded for a record number of draft assets at first. Yeah. And by the way, that was not like, hey, the Thunder are shopping Paul George, like, you know, which team might he go to? That was like they traded Paul George. Like you thought it was Westbrook and Paul George and they were going to try to compete the next season. So that, uh, you know, I guess rebuild. And, you know, honestly, the rebuild didn't even really start for another year or two. Right. Because like Chris Paul all comes. They have the the bubble season where they almost uh, upset the Rockets. But it just it came out of nowhere at a time. Like you mentioned, the Zion, the earthquake. It's just. Some of these thunder moments in history are crazy. Yeah, Shea has been really good this year. He was playing an all-NBA level, like you said. Uh, he almost uh, gets into that discussion for an all-star starter, but it, I don't know. I've been super, super impressed with him. He's just improved every single year. Going back to that trade, I thought that he could maybe be like a Drew Holiday caliber type of player. But as you mentioned, he's leaped into a superstardom ca- uh, category of like a top 10 to 12 player in the league. Where do you see him maybe ceiling-wise or where do you get the feeling of that he's kind of looked at around the league? I don't know if you got the stats up. What what is he per game now? Like points, like 30? He's still at 30. I'm pretty sure I'll yeah, check it like, out. That, I understand that it is the era of like, you know, inflated stats in a lot of ways. But 30 is just like, it is a, a different tier of score. And I didn't know he had this type of offensive juice. You know, I covered the his rookie year playoff series. He was on the Clippers. They played the Warriors. He was good in that series. He had a lot of different like Warriors people behind the scenes, coaches and players like can defend a little bit, can score a little bit. You know, he's got a little mid range game. I remember Livingston, you know, really liked him. Right. Because he kind of has that like longer mid range Sean living. It, it was he almost looked to them like an old school player uh, in the new school. But that to me always like felt capped at like, you know, 21 per game, like for- Fringe all-star, probably not an all-star, but like, you know, a, a guy you'd love to have on your team. I didn't see 30 per game, all NBA guard, you know, 
argument to even get fringe MVP ballot votes this season. Um, and then even the last couple of years, you saw the talent, you know, and Ty Jerome is on the Warriors now. He's on a two-way. I've talked to Ty Jerome a little, little bit about Shea, and, like, he, he's – been saying hey i've told people like I, i've told people this is coming i saw it i'm sure in practices he saw it you know while being on the thunder the last couple of years i didn't see it partly because I, I wondered about his durability physically you know there's been a lot of like oh the thunder are like purposely shutting him down on the last couple of seasons to improve draft capital but also it was like you know it's, these seem like pretty legitimate injuries that he's having to battle through he obviously has a pretty thin frame and you just wondered you know an 82 game marathon plus eventually playoffs you know how can his body hold up through that and and this season has been a uh you know i guess an early answer that they it's probably yes right you know i mean i know he's missed how many games at this point like maybe like seven eight something like that something close to that yeah it hasn't been many i mean he missed some earlier in the season and then a couple spot games where it was like the memphis game at home and then the celtics game that was a big statement where they put 150 on the celtics at home yeah, I think that's key, and I almost think I know that you know maybe late in the season, if the Thunder fall out of it a little bit, there will be an appeal to try to you know nudge the lottery odds up. But I just I would like to see them give Shea the full run of however many games he can play this season, not only for you know postseason awards and stats and all that, but just like to so his body goes through it. Like this is you know how what playing a full season as a number one option where you're being you know schemed against on a nightly basis. Um, can do and I you know it it does seem to be the blossoming of a level of superstar that I didn't think he was and that really kind of changes the calculation for the Thunder because if he was just you know 21 per game maybe the 32nd best player in the NBA then they would still be searching for their you know cornerstone I'm not sure they are searching for their cornerstone necessarily obviously they need to find complementary big pieces like maybe Chet Holmgren to fit next to him but he really changes who they can be moving forward with what he's done this season. Well, when you have a lead guard, that changes everything because a lot of the NBA now is just about wings and who is handling the ball most of the time. But he's averaging 30.9 points per game, 5.6 assists, 1.7 steals, 1.1 blocks, and on 50, 37, 90 shooting. So I'd say that's pretty good. And then you mentioned it, some of the stuff where he has played in the playoffs. He played on that Clippers team. He played in the bubble for the Thunder. but it's still in a situation where we don't know what we don't know in terms of him being the guy on a playoff team because the oh, playoff. Yeah. 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 It's completely different. Like, you know, again, he was like, I think he was coming off the bench maybe for that Clippers team. And was like, again, he was, he had a couple moments that made some veterans in the league. Like, Ooh, this night, you know, this young player is solid. It's very different than a coaching staff goes like, what is job responsibility number one for our defense? Like shut down all of Shea's pet actions. You know, we want to take him out of this pick and roll. Maybe we're going to show some blitzing schemes in the second quarter to, to get the ball out of his hands. And, you know, it's again, covering the Warriors over the years, I've had so many different playoff series that, that I've covered in the way they from, you know, they're just kind of a historically smart defense with the Iguodala's, the Draymond Greens, David West back in the day, Livingston, all these guys. Uh, with the coaching staff, you know, Steve Kerr, Mike Brown, that do very unique stuff defensively to they did it to to Westbrook and Durant back in the day. But yeah, I can think last year they did it to Luca in the West Finals. They would they were going zone two, three, they would blitz him. Um, just the way Draymond was kind of sinking over on help side. Like the they 
do that type of stuff to stars and the best defenses in the league do that to stars in the playoffs. They don't do it on a regular, you know, January night in the regular season. So, you know, that would be the argument for if the Thunder have a chance at the play and have a chance at maybe getting, getting an eight, seven seed, even if that's going to hurt their draft capital by six draft slots, let's say, even if you know, they're going to get wiped out in the first round, it would probably be good experience. Not even just for Shea, but for Josh Giddy. Uh, for for Jalen Williams, even for Chet Holmgren to sit over on the bench and sit in playoff meetings and understand what a playoff atmosphere is, what playoff scouting is. That's the big thing, just the scouting and the preparation changes. And I think young, young guys do need to learn that. And Shea, while he's been there, probably needs to learn it, like you said, as, as a lead guard. And then just under the bright lights, I mean, there were Thunder teams in the past where Cameron Payne's the backup point guard all season. Then you get to the playoffs. It's like, oh, you, you can't play him anymore. And I think that's just very important to see with a lot of these guys, just to test the test drive, you know, who looks good in a lot of these environments. And I'm with you. I think that they should push for the plan. I'm I try to be the best Sam Presti translator I can be with some of his wordage. But from what I got in his preseason um, press conference was that this team is going to be as good as they want to be, but we're not doing anything to trade to make them better. So if the team is good, they're going to be good. But I'm I'm with you. I, I hope they push for the play in because the thing is, Chet isn't even back yet. And it looks like you already have a top three to five rookie in this class in Jalen Williams. So a lot of this season just feels like house money to me because you're not going to chase you're not going to catch the Rockets and the Pistons and the Hornets of the world and the chase for Victor Wembanyama. So let's get that playoff experience and just see what the Thunder have in a lot of these younger guys like Shea, Giddy, Dort and others. Yeah, and there's not that big a difference between like the 10th pick and the 16th pick, right? You know, there is a huge difference between the first pick and the 16th, but they're not getting one. And maybe, you know, there's small, small lottery odds if you if you are, you know, 13th and get out of the playoffs, you get it. And the other thing I'd say, you know, think back to the last golden era of Thunder basketball. How often did they reference that Lakers series, their first playoffs series? They were the eight. Kobe, Pau Gasol, eventual champion Lakers were the number one, and they took them to six games. And it was like, no, you know, it would always be talked about for over the course of the next half decade about how much that playoff series helped them. So I would say that is an example of what what getting in can do for for a young team. Yeah. And you don't even have to win, like you mentioned, with that Lakers series, just compete and show that you are a team that can fight and stay in games with a lot of those teams. But um, speaking of teams that are going to be in the playoff mix, the Golden State Warriors feels like they've been a little bit down for stretches, but a lot of people and myself included are still giving them the benefit of the doubt as the reigning NBA champions. But what have you seen as the biggest change this year other than, I guess, maybe the main story is just health? Yeah, um, for the Warriors, it's just the kind of uh, fight against father time and the fight against uh, themselves in some ways. And like when, when management might think about pivoting off you know i mean look it's the two timeline plan and and if anyone's followed the warriors even semi-closely they understand uh they have this dynasty core that dates you know back more than a decade that has won four titles together that you know shockingly won last year's title nobody really saw that coming and proved to the world that they're still there even in into their 30s they can still win titles together but while that's going on management has chosen three lottery picks in the last couple of seasons, including James Wiseman second overall a few years ago, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. And as they've tried to, you know, basically what, what we've termed it is bridge to the next era and try to like, you know, eventually be able to hand the keys from a contender off from one to the other without having a 
a rebuild. Um, there's been bumps, and that bumps have really showed up this season because they've tried to, you know, implement inject the youth more into the rotation, uh, and it just has not gone well. They're they're hovering around 500. If the Thunder beat them tonight, they have the same record as the Thunder. Um, and Moses Moody's in the G League. He won't even be at the game tonight. He's he currently in the G League. Jonathan Kaminga is the one of the three recent lottery picks that is is starting to pop. You'll see him in the rotation. Uh, he's, you know, and he, I know he's a guy that Thunder could have picked at six. It's going to be interesting to watch him and Giddy. Uh, but, you know, and then I guess you would say the crown jewel you thought of as a rebuild who really hasn't got his career off the ground is James Wiseman and just kind of where his future is. It just remains unsettled. And it is, it's just, it is a strange time to be around them where it's like you, you're watching the the old heads, the, the, the grizzled beards still try to hold on to contention and prove they can win a fifth. You're watching, you know, history at its final days, in, in a sense, while also try, trying to see if this new era has anything, like if, if they can even attempt to, to you know, get in the mix with them. It's just so neat, because, so unique because you have all these young guys and then you and Draymond, who not only are incredible players, but four of like the highest basketball IQ guys in recent NBA history. So I'm sure that it's been a big learning curve going from them trying it's almost like they're speaking a different language i would imagine from them to the rookies and the younger guys like wiseman kaminga moody and others yeah uh, and there have been growing pains uh and you know obviously jordan Poole is kind of one of the middle ground guys who uh you know i guess you would say graduated last season from uh recent number one pick he's not really helping to like oh this guy can can really go and he has the huge season last year gets the extension has a nice playoffs um, helps them win a title. You know, he's their sixth man. He's he would have been one of the leading candidates for sixth man of the year, but now he's starting. Um, but they, you know, not only is uh, some of the franchise control shifting over to the youth movement, but some of the money, and that was the big thing. Obviously, uh, you know, the summer as the extensions came around, they extended Andrew Wiggins. They gave Jordan Poole the big extension. They did not extend Draymond Green, who wanted one at the time. And then you throw right into the middle as, as some of those negotiations are going on. Everybody, uh, you know, surface not like during the punch, they were discussing money, but it just it just felt like everything that was under the surface coming to light. Um, and it's something for, for management to have to deal with, the coaches to have to deal with. And it has created, as you said, a, a unique environment and really, you know, from a journalist perspective, a very interesting environment. So I've enjoyed it. Where were you when you found out about the, the punch video leaking? So, well, we broke the original story um, of it happening, you know, and I, where I was there, you know, I'm getting my, my phone's getting blown up as I'm driving back from practice. The post practice was a weird vibe, but obviously they were trying to suppress it. Um, and I was driving back and, you know, we start to get word. And then, you know, me and my colleagues, Marcus Thompson, Sham, Sharania, kind of, uh, you know, later that night, we're able to put the story out there, which, you know, that it was a big deal at the time. But. The video wasn't out yet. Uh, and even through our reporting, you had some people like, oh, you know, like not that, but you're kind of trying to downplay the severity of it. And then I, you know, I woke up to, I think TMZ, it would have been Wednesday was the practice that happened. We put it out Wednesday morning and I believe Friday morning. They aren't practicing. They'd already done a press conference, basically trying to downplay it in some ways. And then TMZ drops it at like 7 a.m. on a Friday morning, a Pacific. And I woke up to it. And then, that was that was quite a 48 hour period around them for sure yeah that must have been crazy I, it just things are just different from when you get the second hand like description of it versus just actually seeing it 
but it's it's just been a weird scenario. I'm sure that I'm I'm glad that hasn't been the whole topic of the entire season for you guys. It's been other things rather than just hey, it's been um 42 days, 12 hours, and six minutes since that leaked about uh, Draymond punching Jordan Poole. What's going on now? Yeah, it just like laid the content or like you know I guess laid the foundation for what was going to be a turbulent season and right away you're right it stopped becoming the daily topic pretty early in the season because they go three and seven out of the gates and wiseman struggling and it was suddenly like okay we got to stop talking about all the off-court drama you got to start talking like what's going on on the court you thought it was going to be like not that they were going to cruise to the one seed but it was it was going to be somewhat of a relaxing regular season where they're going to maintain a decent seed and work their their youth in they went three and seven the veterans are like kind of grumbling about the rotation. The young guys aren't ready. Draymond's playing really well. So it was like, well, you know, all the talk was, is this the end of Draymond Green? And then suddenly you're like, oh, he remains like absolutely vital to them winning games. Um, and then from there, it's just been this tug of war around 500. And, you know, they're, they're sitting 25 and 24 coming into Oklahoma City. Yeah. And then um, speaking of Oklahoma City, they're one of the younger teams rising up the standings, but it feels like a changing of the guard with younger teams kind of rising up the standings. Like I mentioned, Denver, um, New Orleans, Memphis and others. I just wanted to ask you, who do you think presents the most problems for the Warriors in a seven game series or the team that they probably don't want to see? In the West? In the West. It's a good question. Um, You know, I... I thought going into the last season, and you, you could argue during the West playoffs, it was Memphis. You know, they are the, the Warriors kind of wiped away Dallas pretty easily in the, in the conference finals, beat a, a Jokic Denver team that didn't have Jamal Murray or, or Porter uh, in the first round. That second round series, there were, you know, tight, tense moments. It was very chippy. Um, so I would still kind of say Memphis. I think the way they turn the, you know, they really turn the Warriors over a lot. They, you know, crash the glass. The Warriors are small. Um, like there are some matchup style, stylistic things that I think give Memphis some edges. But at the same time, from what I've seen in that playoff series to what I've seen, the Warriors are two and zero against Memphis this season in some, you know, highly anticipated games, including no Steph Curry on Christmas Day. The Warriors still beat them. They kind of like somewhat have their number. Um, but I'd still probably say Memphis. I'm not necessarily a big Denver believer. I think the Warriors will throw Nikola Jokic into 95 high screens. And I just think, you know, as you know, styles make clashes in the playoffs. I just like what the Warriors can do against Denver. Whereas I I I I'd be concerned about them in a Memphis series um somewhat. So I, I'd still say Memphis. New Orleans, I'm not there on. Dallas, I mean, I think we saw it last year. Phoenix, I think it's kind of ready for that Chris Paul era to die a little bit. The other thing about the West is like, it's not, it's not a lot of meat out there. The Warriors are 25 and 24. I don't believe in the Warriors. I think they have some big problems, but I'm like, I'm not sure I would pick anybody to beat them in a seven game series because of how soft the West looks right now. And their track record. And when they're right, they are right. And nobody has beaten them when they're fully formed and healthy. You can ask Draymond about it. He'll say it anytime that he's given the opportunity, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to pick Memphis, too, as their biggest challenger. Not just the Steven Adams component of it, but there are some similarities of them and some of those older Thunder teams with super athletic guards and longer teams. But it should be interesting. But last question before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you, you know, you've covered all types of NBA personalities, all time great players. 
from Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kendrick Perkins, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Godala, Steve Kerr, Enos Cantor, Stephen Adams, and more. Who has been your favorite person to work with? Jeez. Um, I don't I mean, that's depends on like, like who's been like, there's people who are that are the most entertaining to work with. There are people that are maybe have challenged me professionally more than others. And then there are people who are just like, you know, it's going to be a, an easy time to work with. I will say just from a professional, like ease of, uh, you know, I guess of a work day, like Steph Curry is as, as simple a superstar to work with as there is. I mean, he's just super professional, always talks, you know, post game, um, is, uh, always kind of has a good demeanor. Now he does not deliver the most fantastic quotes. That would be Draymond Green over there, but there there can be much more turbulent moments, you know, journalistically with Draymond Green or or over the years. But man, he provides content, and we you know we at times need good perspective on stuff, and he can be very willing to give it. So he's probably been the most useful quote for me over the years. Steve Kerr, it, you know how much we talk to coaches on a daily. You know, at times it's three times in a day over the. Course of the season you probably do 150 you know press availabilities with the with the coach he's 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 as good as anybody in the league just given his perspective given you know straight to the point quotes giving anecdotes that type of stuff so he's been terrific to work with if you go back to the thunder days well i would also you know it it was terrific to cover kevin durant for seven seasons um and obviously was 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 great for my career to cover him and, and some of the basketball uh, that I saw up close was great. Westbrook, I'd, I'd throw into that. Young Stephen Adams, I've got plenty of stories about young Stephen Adams. When Canner came along, and even at the Oklahoma, we did that whole Stash Bros thing. I remember back in the day, that was a really fun story. I liked covering Ennis, Kendrick Perkins. You mentioned um, the list can go on and on. Then there's like the really high level veterans that explain basketball well and, and are always a reliable quote. I'd go back to the Nick Collison with that Anthony Morrow, if we're talking thunder teams to the Sean Livingston's of the world, David West, um, you know, Zaza Pachulia. Like I could, I could go on and on. Andre Iguodala is a fascinating guy to cover. Um, you know, he's given me some really good interviews over the years. So it's, it's a long list. I, I'm not sure I answered your question as succinctly as maybe you were hoping. No, that was great. I mean, from those Thunder teams, to those Warriors teams, it was like a buffet of just like different guys you could go to for different things where it's like, I just want to hear what's going on. I'll go talk to Steph. You know what? I'd like to hear something a little bit more interesting. Let's talk to Draymond and you can just go down the list of different guys. Uh, this just popped into my head. I hope that I'm not keeping you too long, but um, Andre Gudala, I compared him a little bit, just his uh, utility as a player, just how many different things you can do to Jalen Williams. Do you see any of that as somebody who's been around Andre Gudala a lot? Yeah, you know, it's early. This interesting thing with Andre, he came in, he was like Allen Iverson's like young teammate. You know, there's go back to YouTube. You can watch Allen Iverson throwing like young Andre Gudala alley-oops. And then he became an all-star. And uh, he was a 20-point-per-game, near 20-point-per-game score, number one featured option for, you know, average to below average philly teams and then he goes to denver you know but he's still in that superstar role eventually hits his like second career stride as the sixth man when when steve kerr puts him on the bench for the warriors which includes a finals mvp i mean to me that's goals for Jalen williams right that's like the top level type career that you're looking at if you are that type of rangy do it all glue guy wing um so Long, long way to go. I think Andre Woodall probably is, is you know, he's an interesting Hall of Fame case because 
some, you know, one all-star game, you know, some of that, but he, I could, I, I see what you're saying. He, he at least size skill set somewhat comparative to Iguodala. Now Iguodala's brains on the defense oh, yeah. end and his hands and his versatility, it, that is like elite. And yeah. maybe Williams will get there. I think Jalen Williams is more similar on the offensive end. I mean, Andre Iguodala is one of the best wing defenders of this generation as much as people just forget about it. It feels like, I mean, he was the guy giving Durant a lot of those problems in that uh, 2016 series, but just crazy stuff overall. Thank you so much for coming on with me. This feels kind of like the the Blues Clues thing where Steve comes back and revisits the house. Wow. So I would be Steve, huh? You would be in this scenario. All right, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, no, it's good to be back. I mean, what? It's probably been six seasons or something since I've been on this podcast. Have you been back on a, as a guest? I think I have. You know, all the podcasts blur together over the years. I think everyone is doing so many of these days. But I believe when Eric, I, I came on and did one with Eric Horn maybe a year or two after I left. But thanks again for coming on. Thanks to Barry Trammell for uh, hooking this up where I could get in contact with you, Barry. Great guy. Uh, but it's always great to talk Thunder basketball. Really glad we got to have this experience. Hopefully we'll get some OG Thunder Buddies listeners who can have a nostalgia break listening to this. But it was a great time. Thanks for talking with me. And I'll see you later at the game tonight. Yep. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. We'll be back on, again on Friday. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate us five stars on every podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at ThunderBudPod for more Thunder news, updates about this podcast, and anything else you might need. And thanks again for listening.